So welcome to another Impact Sessions with me, Nick Bramley. I'm delighted today to have a guest on who has probably been working in one of the most difficult and challenging sectors in the UK in 2020. Uh, we're going to be meeting Paula Kay. She's a hospitality and food consultant and founder of Boost Consultancy. We've entitled this week's podcast, Hospitality and Food Businesses, Here's to a Better 2021. And I'd like to think that that means that we're going to see a raised glass or two to say, let's see the back of 2020. And Paula is going to share with us some of her thoughts and ideas on what we can do to support and help the sector. So without further ado, welcome to the podcast, Paula. Oh, thank you, Nick. I'm really delighted to be here today. More, more than welcome. Uh, we had a, a sort of conversation about the things that we could talk about and, uh, you know, some of the challenges that the sector's had. It's been a, well, it can only be described as the, probably the toughest year ever, you know, stop, start, stop, start, etc. But before we get into all that, just tell us a bit about Paula Kay, the Boost Consultancy, you know, what's your sort of backstory? How did you get to where you got to today? Yeah, right, Nick, no problem. So um, I've actually been in the hospitality sector now for um, over 35 years. Um, most of those years I um, was lucky enough to have spent with the iconic um, Betty's and Taylors of Harrogate. Mm -hmm. So um, I, when I was a lot younger, I, I think I always knew I wanted to go into hospitality. And uh, so I went to Scarborough Technical College. I studied um, hotel management there. And when I was studying, I got a role as a part-time waitress working for Betty's at what was then Taylor's Tea Rooms. Which, and, which, one, which one was that, can I ask Paula? Which one? The Taylor's Tea Rooms was in Stonegate. So it's now called Betty's Stonegate. In York? In York, yeah, the one in York. Um, and um, so basically that was my sort of start with Betty's. And when I left college, I joined them as a management trainee. And so I, I really learned my craft from the floor up and... Mm spent over 31 years working in various uh, leadership and management roles, um, had some fantastic opportunities with them to, um, I opened the Harlow Car Gardens um, branch, um, spent many years operationally in York, looking after the York branch and doing sort of multi-site management in York, uh, refit projects. So yeah, there was definitely a very, uh, never a dull moment. So it was a business that was very on the, outside looks like it doesn't change and is very traditional but actually the reason that Betty's is so successful is that it is a business that is really innovative and very creative and so it's it's very fast. Um, well, for those who don't know and, and and that would be anyone who's probably not in our UK listenership or, or audience, uh, Betty's and Taylor's and, and Betty's of York are a high quality high class tea rooms and catering business um, they operate in York, in Harrogate. They've got two sites in Harrogate, uh, including the one that Paula mentioned at uh, Harlow Car Gardens. They've got one in Ilkley, I believe. And um, they've got a lot of export in terms of their quality of their product. And uh, we've got to thank Yorkshire Tea, haven't we? Is that part of the, the, uh, the, the Betty's brand? Massive fan. And what I will say to you, which I didn't realise before we came on, is uh, we have a family tradition in the Bramley household, which... We go to Betty's in York every Christmas Eve afternoon for uh, afternoon tea uh, before Christmas. And it's a fabulous experience and uh, it's just done very well. It's, a, it, I mean, not a bad brand to, to, to cut your working teeth on there, Paula, is it, I suspect? 
no, not at all. I was, yeah, as I say, really lucky to have um, been part of that business and actually to have been um, able to have helped sort of grow and develop the brand over the years. So when I started, it was a very tiny family business. And when I left, it was quite a, a large sort of organisation. So like 1,300 people, as you mentioned, the sort of tailors of Harrogate element and the Yorkshire Tea. Um, so had lots of um, great experience of sort of, of that sort of very transformational change that business undergoes as it sort of cuts its teeth and grows into a bigger business. Um, and then when I left Betty's in 2016, I went to Vista Village, so in Oxfordshire, mm -hmm. so away from Yorkshire and um, was their food and beverage director. So for, it was nearly three years, sort of developed their food strategy and supported them um, implementing that. So opening sort of a couple of major restaurants and they did a, a we did a pop-up strategy. So worked with lots of very fun brands creating kiosks and very Instagrammable <laughs> moments really for the guest. Um, well, somebody said to me that Bista Village is um, probably the second most visited inverted commas tourist attraction in the UK because a lot of people fly into Heathrow and you know certainly from the far east and and and, and sort of uh, come across and think we'll go to Bister it's a, an outlet it's a very sort of Swiss designer outlet but uh, it's very accessible isn't it for, for the M4 corridor so I've been a couple of times I'm not a massive fan of shopping but you know it's packed all the time isn't it it's very international yeah, absolutely. Very international. I'd say probably 60% of visitors generally international, uh, international um, guests, um, but a real destination. So like you say, very luxury, very sort of, uh, they, it's all about creating a destination for the customer. So in, in many ways, it was quite similar to Betty's in that sense, because it was all about creating something that was, um, was destination. Okay. And while I was there, I, I worked probably more as a consultant. So I was working in partnership with brands quite a lot of brands, 20, 30 different types of businesses to help them optimise their business. And that's really what led me to Boost because when I wanted to come back to Yorkshire, I felt I really wanted to continue to use my knowledge and experience to sort of work with um, a broad range of businesses to help them um, develop and grow. So yeah, that's that really what how Boost was born. If uh, what was the timing on Boost then? When was Boost born, uh, Paul? When, when when did you sort of develop and, and, and officially launch that then? Yeah, well, it was actually, it was launched, Boost was born in sort of February of this, this year. So, but actually launched post um, our lockdown, because obviously, as we know, um, once things started to unfold with COVID, it became very clear for many businesses that lots of things needed to be put on hold, yeah. things didn't go ahead. So I used the time in lockdown to, I suppose, get clear on my proposition, create my website. So I was ready to go once um, things had reopened. Okay, well, I mean, talk about timing. Uh, that is uh, that is either fortunate, unfortunate. There's certainly one thing would be said if you can get through and help your clients get through 2020. There's probably not much on the horizon that you're not prepared to, you know, throw your throw your hat into the ring for. Really, um, what intrigued me as a consumer in the early days of lockdown were when we started getting in the UK sort of less restrictive lockdowns. There seemed to be quite a bit of innovation in the food and hospitality sector, you know, pivoting and doing all sorts. What did you see and what were the successes if you 
were looking into it, thinking, yeah, well, actually, that's a, 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 you know, it's been quite successful in a in a way that maybe people wouldn't have thinking about before the twenty fourth of March, which is our lockdown deadline day in, in the UK. Uh, yeah, but, so I think pivoting was really, I mean, that's a that's got to be a word, hasn't it, for 2020, but certainly in hospitality and in the sector, I think that what did come out very strongly was the level of creativity and innovation. I think it's interesting because as a sector, I think that we're naturally, like operational people naturally are able to sort of, I suppose, be quite agile and, and sort of switch things around. And I think we did see a lot of that. Um, the main thing I think were um, businesses that I sort of saw do things. I mean, Leon was the first, which I thought they did a really great job. I mean, they were the ones that launched the um, feed the NHS. So did so much work in terms of helping the frontline workers, but also they switched to grocery, which was really interesting. Mm. Um, so they did takeaway, but they also started doing essential grocery and they developed a, a, a sort of click and collect uh, like an e-commerce site, I think within weeks, um, which was, you know, normally businesses would take up to two years to do that. So that that was really, really impressive. Somebody said that then we've enhanced our digital capability, uh, five years worth of enhancement in like six months. And that's a, a great example of Leon with, without little little alternative I guess is just thinking we've got to do something and, and you know you would traditionally see Leon I certainly do as a consumer as a sort of fast food outlet that you see at stations and, and sort of you know those kind of outlets and, uh, and for them to to take a, a lead on something quite innovative was great to see and, and quite a few people followed that didn't they? I think on a localized level you saw pubs and restaurants opening for takeaways and they were, they were doing ex outside you know, wood-fired pizza oven sort of stuff and deliveries and all that kind of thing. Mm. Um, where were you with your thinking as Boost and as a, a food and hospitality expert in those early days? I mean, could you see light at the end of the tunnel? Were you confident? Was it nerve-wracking? You know, where were you with your thinking and potentially the clients you were trying to attract to a, a fairly new business? Um, so I think I was all of the above. I was nervous. <laughs> I was just sort of like optimistic and you know, sort of switching on my um, brain in terms of how do I think about my business differently? What will, what will people be needing? So I think that's where I went to is what will people need? And so from a very pragmatic point of view, I was very good at being sure that I sort of followed all of the guidelines of changes because they changed so much at the beginning that they mm. were, you know, so making sure that I had something that I could share with businesses, not, not as a, not as something to sort of, um, what's the word, not, not as a sort of fee, but to work with them so that yeah. if people contacted me, I was able to sort of help guide them to things because there was a lot of free things around at that time, but it was hard to maybe make sense of it. So yeah. those sorts of things are much more pragmatic. And then also just thinking in terms of, you know, like what will customers need now? So there was a lot about restrictions in terms of covers. So how can we think differently? How do you use outside differently? How do you maybe recreate your operational flow? So just maybe just using and applying my own experience and knowledge into how I would approach those different scenarios. So I did a lot of my own scenario planning really so that I could support as and when I had businesses come to me really, Nick. Well, a couple of things that struck me there, 
you are sort of suggesting that the government were making up as they went along. And I'm going to suggest that that's probably the case. And we're not going to get into too political uh, uh, discussion about that. So it was very much, uh, you know, what's today's news and what's happening tomorrow, particularly in your sector. But I really love the fact that you seem to have put your potential customer at the heart of the boost experience or potential experience. And when you said, what do they need right now? You've then created a, a sort of a, a, a platform to deliver what they need. So that's brilliant to see. And that's not surprising that, you know, with that expertise that you've got, you've, you've created that platform. So how's Boost been received then, you know, given that it's such a, a tough challenging sector, we'll talk about stop, start, stop, start shortly, but has Boost been well received by those that you've engaged, you know, in over, over the last nine months or so in the UK? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I, I mean, it's been slow. I've, you know, obviously because the sector has been hard hit. There's been lots of people that I've talked to that I have been able to help on a very sort of ad hoc and official basis, which has been great, and I'm really, really happy to do that. Um, but I am having really good conversations with businesses, and I think that what that provides for me is some really good um, an indication that things are will be, there'll be some green shoots coming through next year mm. so I am you know feeling you know as more optimistic that next year we will start to see people reset rethink and they're going to have to rebuild I mean it's going to be very different and mm. I'm not trying to say take away the fact that there will be there's so many businesses that we've sadly lost as a result of it yeah. um, but those that have managed to um you know, trade through it, and we are still here. I think that they will need some support, and you know, that's that's what I'm focused on, really, Nick. Well, I heard an interview on the radio with a guy the other day, and he, he owned 15 pubs and restaurants in sort of um, the northwest, and he was saying, you know, we're managing to trade through, and I was thinking, wow, yeah, that's quite impressive with that overhead and all the things that go with that. But if he's still here you know, in January, February time, then, you know, it's people like that who are just going to have to look and sort of roll the sleeves and go, right, what's next, aren't they, really? I'll just go back a little step, though. Um, the stop-start bit of the sector has been really frustrating for me, as a not as a consumer, because I'm not in a particular hurry to go into a, you know, a pub or restaurant with a load of people in a non-social, you know, non-socially safe environment, but we've had uh, lockdown, an ease of lockdown, eat out to help out, then tiered systems, then another full lockdown, then more tiers, then five days open at Christmas. Um, how the hell has the sector coped with that? You know, what's the, what's been the challenge if, if not just keeping on top of all the, what, what am I allowed to do kind of scenario? Mm. Well, I think that has been a, that has been one of the things is how do you keep, how do you keep up to date with what you, you're able to do? And I have to say that the trade body for hospitality, UK hospitality, have been really, really brilliant at providing some really clear advice. And I think Kate Nichols, their sort of chief exec, has, has been brilliant in terms of championing government as well to give clear advice. Um, and I think the stop-start thing, I just think, is, to is so negative. I think there's an underappreciation for how difficult it is to stop a business and how costly it is to stop a business. You don't just stop a business. You... There is a process, and I think having to do that once is difficult enough. But I think then when people are having to do it for a second and a third time, um, as well as also the money that they've invested starting again, Nick, because, you know, when they reopened, I think one thing that 
you know, I, I, from my experience of going into restaurants, people invested a lot of money to make sure that they put the customers at the heart of their experience yeah. and that they did create something safe and that, you know, safety was obviously number one. And by, but they had to invest in, you know, screens and different sorts of um, like sanitizing stations and different elements to enable them to do that. Um, so I think it's been quite exhausting for people and costly. Um, I would I would also say as as a, as a casual observer of the sector, it's not a sector I work in uh, particularly. Um, there didn't seem to be any sense to it that you can go into somewhere and sit down and have a meal, but you can't go in and have a drink. If you're sitting at a table having a drink, surely there's no difference between sitting at the same table. And let's go with the old Scotch egg scenario that, you know, that uh, apparently sales of Scotch eggs have, have so, so shot through the roof, haven't they, this, this last couple of months when that's become the substantial meal. But I personally don't get it that if I went to a pub, I totally get they don't want you congregating at the bar, I totally get they don't want you jostling shoulders with people. But if you're going to sit down at a socially distanced table in your own bubble of your family and, and, and whatever, and whether you're eating or not, COVID doesn't care whether you're having a scotch egg or a pasty or a three-course meal and a drink. Just it, you know, it's it's not discriminatory, is it? Does that has that frustrated the sector? You know, the people you talk to must think it's madness, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think it, that's so frustrating for yeah, so many people in the sector and everybody that I have spoken to. I think feels that they're being very unfairly um, treated because I think when you're not when non-essential retail is still being allowed to open and yet you know when you're going to a restaurant you're social, sat at a table socially distanced all of the other measures have been put in place to make sure that there is that covid confidence for the customer to be able to have a nice experience mm. it really doesn't make any sense it feels like hospitality somehow are being used as a you know an example where there's no real hard data to back up the fact that actually hospitality is there's any more um is any more responsible for uh, rises in, in the case yeah. of COVID? I, yeah. I would say that. I don't think I've seen any evidence that says that the hospital... Yes, you see when, you know, Soho in London in September was packed to the ginnels in the streets and whatever. Yeah, you understand that, but that's that, was, that wasn't responsible sort of hospitality and it wasn't the hospitality sector's fault. It was probably the consumer's fault at that stage. Um, but anyway, let's move on to something more positive. We've got Christmas um, I'm going to release this podcast just before Christmas, the day before we've got a five-day opportunity in the UK to you know, meet people under certain restrictions. How has the hospitality sector responded to that? Does it make a difference to them? Is it is it the light at the end of the tunnel? Is it more trouble than it's worth for five days? What's the view of the sector as you're finding it, Paula? Um well, I think it's in, in many cases, it doesn't make a huge amount of difference because the tier systems you know, that are in place are the ones that really make a difference to the hospitality sector. So even though you have the restrictions, um, for example, in, in York, where I am, and we can mix with different people, with another household or two other households inside, we still can't, we can still only go into a restaurant with our own family. We can't go with another household uh, so I do think it, it hasn't it doesn't make that much of a difference it's the tier system really that makes the difference for the hospitality sector mm. I think everybody though do you know that 
they're just such a resilient um, bunch of people, really, in terms of the guys that you that that have you know that work in the sector that have the independent owners of these businesses, and they're really they do everything they can, I think, to make the most of um, you know what hopefully will be a you know a busyish time for them, um, you know, and I think that that's all people can do really is is just you know it's head down, isn't it, this time of year, getting on and making the most of, of the trade that's there. Absolutely. Well, uh, let's get on to other confidence issues then. Um, the vaccine programmes must have given, uh, pardon the pun, the sector a shot in the arm. I, I'm going to apologise to every listener and viewer for that one. Uh, but it must have given the sector a, 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 certainly a, you know, a boost. And we'll give you our name or your consultancy another plug with that one. Um, I'm going down every pun route possible here. Um, has the vaccine programme itself done anything to improve confidence of the sector or is it just you know too too little too late at the moment because they won't see any benefit for it for a few months what's the what's the view on the on the vaccine program as you see it Paula yeah I think there is um there is definitely very optimistic I think there was all you know everyone was very optimistic when they heard that the vaccine was here and it was being rolled out but I think as well there's a um pragmatic you know, sort of very practical sort of approach in terms of it's going to take time you know it's not going to be rolled out everywhere until the end of the year so I think there's a realization that that's going to it just will take time for those for that to kick in um but yeah definitely some optimism I mean you know that that was great news I mean it is great news isn't it that there's mm. a vaccine. that's got to be something that we're all um gives gives definitely some more hope for the next year well, unless, of course, you're a vaccine denier or, you know, yeah. uh, somebody who is, uh, uh, what, what do they call them, um, where, where they're, um, anyway, I, I know I'm looking at in terms of um, where people are um, sort of, people who walked on the moon or didn't go to the moon. What do they call them? I can't remember the name. Okay, so you, I can't remember the name of the, the type, but deniers anyway. But most people are going to be sensible about it and hopefully, you know, that will help the, the sector. Um, I'm going to just finish on 2020 and just see if there's any themes or trends that you've seen emerging as a result of COVID. You talk about Leon doing something very innovative. There's a one, that's one sort of brand, as it were. Are there any other themes or trends that you're seeing that may transcend COVID and, and, and remain, you know, once we get back to inverted commas, normal? Yeah, I think, um, well, I think delivery was already, we were already seeing delivery as a, as a trend pre-COVID. But that's obviously a little bit like technology being massively accelerated. And I think that is something that will continue. And I think the way people are finding new ways to take their products to their customers. So menu kits, I don't think that they're going anywhere. And I think, you know, even um, locally, Roots, uh, Tommy Banks has done the menu kits. And those are something that has actually created a new sales stream for their business, which is great. You know, so I think those things will stay. I think there's been a real... Um, reconnection with community and local which is brilliant so mm. I think that the working from home is obviously something that's going to continue Nick but I don't think that's gonna yeah. um go anywhere soon and I think what that has done is meant that people are staying close to home so they're supporting local businesses um I had the privilege of talking to quite a few local bakery owners um you know just after the last lockdown and they obviously were able to stay open and mm. the ability for them to be able to provide an alternative choice to supermarkets, but also to just, I suppose, just reopen people's eyes to what's on your doorsteps. Yeah. I think, you know, which is, I think has been a really positive 
um, part of it. Um, I, think all, I think there's also, you know, whilst whilst we probably appreciate our local um, providers now, food and, and beverage and, and, and um, hospitality providers more than we did before, there's actually been a drive towards that as well. And there's, there's, there's almost like an undercurrent or a theme of, you know, you owe it to your community to support your community. And, uh, you know, long may that continue. And, and, you know, the big boys will still make their own money. That's fine. But your local artisan bakery deserves a, a, a shout as well, don't they, really? Deserves an opportunity. Um, conspiracy theorists was the phrase I was looking for earlier. That's <laughs> a, it's just come to me in a flash. Yeah. Um, so that's good to see, though, isn't it? I mean, so the local, the local high street, as such as it were, the local community sort of shopping parade or arcade will will hopefully get back to something like it's been a bit neglected hasn't it over recent years yeah no definitely and I, and I also think local producers I think I was really heartened to see a lot of producers actually going direct to consumer mm. and people then getting more connected to the local producers around their areas so I think that's again something that will um, sustain past um, Covid and yeah I think that's a great a, a real positive um, part of it. There's a lot, there's a lot of, a lot said about provenance of, of of ingredients and food, and and I think you know working in Yorkshire as we do, there is a whole industry around Yorkshire food production, isn't there? And uh, you know when we're allowed to have them, the Yorkshire food markets and the big Yorkshire farmers markets show the diversity of produce available to us, and you know on our doorstep, and I think that will give people a. A confidence to say you know what why don't we support each other so fingers crossed that's going to help 2021 we just got to keep going you know through the end of this little bit of the year really um i'm interested in your customer viewpoint really you said to me you know it'd be good to explore how the customer experience is going to differentiate businesses going forward what do you reckon businesses are going to have to do to put that customer experience even higher on their agenda? What are they not doing now or what could they do even better, do you think, in 2021? Um, I think in terms of customer experience, I definitely think that will be a differentiator. And, and I, the reason I think that, Nick, is because I do think that, although I know that there are a portion of people that are still very nervous about going out, there are a lot of people like me. I want to go back out. I am, there is almost that pent-up desire to be able to go and have an experience and I suppose a newfound appreciation for those businesses that provide that for us, really. Mm. Um, and so I think then it needs to be an experience. And although I don't think that there's, I'm trying to think of like not sort of pulling on any particular examples, but I do think it's been tough for people to get the right balance between COVID confident and experience. And, and maybe sometimes they've forgotten the customer within that in mm. terms of, you know, like hospitality is all about how you make people feel. It's about a fantastic welcome. It's about being made to, um, you know, like you're welcoming somebody almost into your home, that sort of experience. Yeah. I think somehow, because there's been obviously lots of things for people to have to navigate with it, that maybe has been lost. So for me, it's all about the, you know, the the simple, the, the detail, you know, detail matters that, you know, great service, we should be, looking at those very little um, areas and sweating those small things because actually to the customer that makes you feel very special and that you've been thought of and considered really yeah um, I mean, it's sometimes harder to build a rapport behind a, a visor or a face mask but they've still got to look at it and say you know what's the whole experience from arrival 
to welcoming, to seating, to serving and all the things that go with that. Um, you know, we all have favourite restaurants and we have them for a reason. Sometimes it's the food, sometimes it's the ambience, isn't it? Sometimes it's the, the, the service. And, you know, we need to, you know, even if everybody went up 10% across each one of those three areas, they're going to be standing out, aren't they, from, from the crowd really. And, and they're going to have to do that, aren't they, when people are, you know, more nervous about going out they're going to be more choosy they're going to make sure that they're going to choose the right places that have got all the things that tick the boxes particularly if you haven't been out for a long time you want to make your first time you go out properly to be memorable for the right reasons not well it was i thought it was going to be challenging and it was that's not a great experience is it we don't want that doing in, in 2021 no and i and i you know i'm i definitely know believe that those businesses that have a quality offer that where they're focused around their people so that they really focus on their customers and giving great service to their customers. And they build relationships with their customers because let's let's face it, we all want to engage with, don't we? And, mm. and regardless of having a face mask on, that, you know, that sort of human um, connection, as in not touching connection, but connection as in emotionally connecting with somebody, you can do that. You can still do that and deliver that. So mm. I think those are the things that we will all be wanting to look for and I, and I think we want to support it I mean I I mean obviously I'm in the sector but lots of people that I speak to that have nothing to do with hospitality they want to see the sector survive you know they want to support it we all want our restaurants to be there we want those trusted bands that we love to still be around and be strong and be thriving into next year so you know I do think that there will be a lot of people that will you know go out and support that Excellent. You probably look at things very differently when you have a, a, a hospitality experience, don't you? You, you won't be, almost be able to help yourself. You know, other people go for the hospitality experience think, oh, it's been a really good night. You're probably looking at the very fine detail of, of the thing, aren't you? Does that, make, does that make relaxing on a night out difficult for Paula Care then? Do you know it doesn't actually because I think for me it's around it, it's company as well isn't it Nick so it's who yeah. you go out with and it's going out to socialize and and actually I, I also having know what it's like to be the person delivering it so I do I do understand that the the, the challenges and how hard people work and so yeah I, I I am able to enjoy myself I definitely have trained myself to do that and not to be like looking at every single element of it not yeah. to, uh, it's important to switch off isn't it and be able to have a nice time with your family your friends and yeah always helps you got a nice bottle of wine or something that's a company oh, i didn't like to say that Nick, but yeah that does help Absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> what i think paul um i'm interested in um you're, you're very sort of passionate about what you post on LinkedIn. You're very good at sharing. One of the things I really liked about you when I was researching, because we hadn't met until this session, which is, a, you know, I've, I've often got clients and guests on that I know quite well, but this is the first time. It doesn't feel like the first time, to be fair. So uh, that, I'm, I'm hopeful that doesn't for you. Um, but you you do prolifically post, you know, really good content on LinkedIn particularly. I'm not, I don't follow the platforms. And I came across... This, uh, you've got sort of um, the Boost Consultancy, seven ways to support your business in 2021. It, I, I think it's called Thriving Through Uncertainty Programme. Um, you know, do you want to talk us through, you've probably covered some of it in the questions that we've asked already, but do you want to go through one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, just in headline format, just give us a, an insight, because I think it's really important that people know that there are people like you out there who are really keen to support and help them to thrive and you're giving them access to ideas and content that can 
they can do it themselves and they can maybe come to you for the more specialist stuff. So, you know, talk us through the thriving through uncertainty sort of seven steps thing that you've got. That yeah. You've, yeah. I thought it was a really good piece of, uh, really good piece of content. Thank you, Nick. So, yeah, I, I, I was thinking about how do you, I suppose, share a few tips in terms of it's been really uncertain times and how do you help businesses like shift from that survival mode to the thriving mode in terms of, um, you know, for the next phase into 2021 and we were talking about customer experience and that's something obviously because of my background that's very close to my heart in terms of um, hospitality and so one of the uh, seven tips was around how do you take your your customer experience to the next level so a lot about what we talked about that actually the thing that will differentiate you is if you can take your your customer experience and shift it up a level so there are lots of people out there that have a good customer experience, but how do you make it great? There's people out there with ordinary customer experiences. How do you make it extraordinary? Mm. And, and actually, the, the stories that we tell, and people do tell stories, you, you know if somebody's been somewhere and they've loved it because they just can't wait to tell you. They want to, you'll never guess, you have to go. And because they there's something magical's happened to them in that experience because of the quality of the food that all those little steps that worked so it was trying to draw on I suppose the experience that I've had of creating that I suppose within Betty's and with my time at Vista and distilling that into just very sort of seven key points mm. and that was the, um, the the sort of essence of it really so it was it was one was about the detail so it was detail matters and actually I know people talk about retail detail but detail is important in in all customer experiences. So sweat the small things. Yep. Don't tell people that you shouldn't. Focusing on your customers. So it's quite easy, I think, in a business to forget why you're there. And actually, you know, the customer is the reason. And so how do you serve their needs and their wants? And also the things that they don't even know they want. That's great service. Um, top performance on peak days. So I think that I always used to say to my teams that, you know, Olympic teams spend ages training for the Olympics. And so what we can't do is make sure that our busiest days, you know, our busiest training days, we've not thought about it. We've not planned. We've not got our, you know, the right balance of staff there because yeah. that those things will let us down. Um, pace of service. So making sure that you're going at the customer's pace quite often, you know, too fast, too slow. Yeah. Nobody likes slow service, but nobody wants to be rushed through. There's that feeling sometimes that the table's booked for somebody else very quickly after you're finishing, isn't it? And and that that can really put an edge on you when you're just ordering your your, your dessert and your coffee or whatever. And um, you know, it's one of those, isn't it, where you're sort of thinking the pace has to be right. And the if I if you feel like you're rushed, that could take completely the edge off the experience. Everything else could have been perfect, but you sort of almost been edged out of the door because there's somebody hovering in the sort of bar space area. So yeah, that's a really valid point. I really yeah. it can sometimes be worse, Nick. I think if you're rushed than it is if you're waiting. To be fair, sometimes mm. anyway. Um, and quality, I think quality control. We've spoken about quality being the key to, I suppose, the, the differentiator for those the businesses with a quality offer with quality service. Mm. But I think it's like how do you culturally instill that? And great businesses do that. Everybody looks looks at quality. You know, mm. they don't need, it's not the manager, it's the person that's taking the food out, doesn't take it out if it's not the right quality. Every single person at every single point of the chain is looking at it. Um, 
continuous improvement. So, you know, that again, businesses that have that mindset where they're almost relentless in their pursuit of how do we do it better? You know, how do we make this better than we had it before? How do we do something different today than we did yesterday to improve it? Um, and then the learning your craft. I mean, op operations and customer service and operational excellence is all about repetition, mm. relentlessly doing the same thing over again and getting better and better and better at it. And again, you know, it's how you, I suppose, work with your teams and you see that as it is learning your craft. It's getting better and better at what you do. And, I'm, and I see I'm looking for a photograph on my phone. I apologize for not being distracted about the experience that you mentioned there because... This time last year, I was over in the Northwest just before Christmas and I was doing some last minute shopping at Cheshire Oaks. And there was a, um, you know, it, it was after work, so it wasn't very busy. I decided to shop there rather than sit on the traffic on the sort of the East Lanks Road and come home later. And I just did the shopping at the at Cheshire Oaks and there's a food outlet there and, 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 um, and I can't find the picture and I can't find the name of the restaurant. So it's not really good to give them a shout out, but, um, there was a Moroccan restaurant. It wasn't particularly busy. It was just interesting. The mm. inside, the inside of the restaurant looked like the inside of Kath Kidson's head. It was just <laughs> decorated beyond belief with abstract stuff and colour and all that kind of thing. It wasn't very busy either. Um, and I went in and, and everything from the welcome to the service, to the quality of the food, to the showing an interest, but not too much of an interest in me as a single guest sort of, uh, you know, uh, um, sitting on my own, you know, with a few bags, clearly just doing a bit of shopping. The food was outstanding. It was Moroccan. It was just a, a fabulous experience. And then I found it was part of a chain. There's one in Leeds and I've been there since. And that's what you do, don't you? It, it, you know, the, and, and the, the, the lady who served me, young girl who served me, um, was probably a student, probably not you know, um, part of the permanent team. It was a, a an evening shift on a cold Tuesday night type thing. So she wouldn't have been maybe, you know, but she was fabulous and the whole experience was fabulous and it wasn't expensive, but it wasn't cheap either. I just thought that's what it's about, isn't it? And I felt, yeah. I felt like I had an experience and I told loads of people, but unfortunately it's over a year ago, just about a year ago, because I got a memory like, see if I can't remember the name of the bloody place, but, <laughs> The Moroccan restaurant chain, if you look at any pictures on the web, on the internet, it looks like inside of Kath Kidson's... Uh, yeah, it's not Comfar, is it? Comfar Lebanon. No, no, no not that, but it, it'll come to me. And if I, I'll put it in the notes for the uh, for, for yeah. the episode. So, so yeah. And, 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 and what else have we got to do? Uh, have you done your seven there, sort of, Paul? Yeah, I did the seven. Yeah, that was the seven. So, yeah, the, the last one was about the, you know, the relentless... Um, repetition, making sure that you're learning your craft, that that's really, you know, great operational excellence is all about, you know, practicing, really doing the same thing and doing and, and consistency, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's, yeah, delivering always, not, not sort of having a bad day. How long were you, yeah, because the customer doesn't care having a bad day, do they, to be fair? No, how, not at all. How long were you at Betty's in York as a trainee manager, for example, before you felt that you had hit some of those consistency levels and you sort of knew you could, you could see things that needed sorting before they needed sorting. Is it, you know, it's quite a craft, isn't it? It is quite a craft. And I do think that service is a craft. And I think that I'm hoping as well, you know, that because of the spotlight on hospitality, people um, maybe will appreciate more what goes into it. Because I think we're, 
you know, sadly, it's sometimes thought about as being really underskilled. And, mm. and actually, it's a fantastic sector. And it's probably one of the only ones where you can go, one of the few, you can go in, start as a waitress and end up being the managing director. You yeah. know, and if you've got the talent and the drive and the ambition, then mm. you know, that's really possible. I mean, to your question, I think it was, I mean, Betty's is a really good grounding for mm. those things. And their training is, is really, really um, meticulous. So you do get very, very good training. Whereas, you know, hospitality, sometimes you, it's, it, it, people can get thrown in a bit. Yeah. Um, but I would say probably in terms of that, it would be, I, I reckon when I was, I did a year as a management trainee and I had to learn everything, every single part of the business. And I think after that year, I was able to stand back and, and I'd almost, in my head, when I went onto the floor, I could tell you where every single customer was in their journey and what was needed and who was needing to, who I needed to maybe go and speak to, you, 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 you soon assess that. Yeah, okay. So interesting year, fascinating challenges that people have, have overcome and hopefully you're still here. Christmas upon us, 2021 vaccine, 2021 supporting local, 2021 pivoting into things that, that, that may be with us, you know, long-term, like you say, uh, deliveries and food menus and you know, all that kind of thing. Um, What's next for you and Boost then, Paula? Are you, uh, you know, where do you think, if you look back at this time in 2021, looking backwards, where do you hope you've got to as Boost Consultancy and what's next on that on that journey for you? Yeah, I think I think for me it's about building those relationships with clients and building up a good um, client base. Um, I've got, like I say, some interesting projects in the pipeline for next year. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping when, if it was this time next year, that I would have, um, there, w- there would be quite a few of those under my belt and I would have, be, you know, have been able to have supported those businesses, I suppose, redeveloping maybe their models, rethinking their offers and, um, yeah, finding ways to, to, to thrive um, into sort of 2021, 2022. Well, you certainly got a good name for the business. I'm going to finish <laughs> with a, a screen share for those who watch it on video. For those who don't, I'll just read through this. Um, for those who are regulars of the impact sessions you'll know it's available on all your popular podcast platforms itunes spotify youtube google play podbean and Castbox. it's also hosted on the impactus group website and of course our youtube channel um i've got my details on the the final slide but it's more important because this is about my guests so paula is paula k uh and it's from from the boost consultancy uh, a telephone number, if I'm allowed to read that out for you, Paul, I'm assuming is 07595278159. And it's paula at boost-consultancy.co.uk. And the website's the same, boost-consultancy.co.uk. So um, I'll put all those notes in the, in the in the show notes as well. Paul, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I'm glad that you've helped, you know, the sector, uh, albeit, you know, the, launching the business at the start of lockdown was <laughs> an interesting uh, proposition, I guess. Uh, I'm really delighted to have interviewed and met you. Um, you're based in York, as I am. I'm sure our paths will cross when we're allowed to go out and do things. So on that basis, we'll maybe you know, think about cracking a bottle of uh, a bottle of wine. I'm going to ask you then, finish yeah. on a, you're a hospitality and food specialist. You didn't say you're a wine specialist. What, what's, your, what's, your, what's your wine of choice? What's your, what's your tipple of choice? 
Oh, do you know, at the moment, I'm, I really like an Austrian Gruner Veltliner. That is my, my go-to. Okay, well, I, I, I'm going to ask if that's red or white. White. I'm right. assuming Austrian, very, very much, uh, you know, the, it's like a Riesling type, you know, uh, Austria is probably known more for its whites than reds, isn't it, I would suspect. Yeah, so, yeah but it's uh, very good. I would, I would highly recommend it. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Thank you, Nick, so much. I've appreciated um, having the chat with you and we will definitely, we will definitely go and sample hospitality in York when we're allowed. Excellent. Well, there's plenty of places to eat and drink and I'm a Malbec man, really. If I'm, if I'm not a beer man, I'm a Malbec man. So, you know, uh, a nice South African Malbec will do for me. So, Paul, it's been an absolute pleasure. I'll, uh, I'll end the recording and, uh, and, and wish you luck for a fabulous Christmas. And thanks for being a great guest on the Impact Sessions. Thank you. You too, Nick. Cheers.